So, Lord, I just thank you so much for marriage. I think it's one of the best ideas you ever had. It was the first idea you had because when you saw Adam, you said, it's not good for this guy to be alone. And uh, I'm going to make someone who is going to be equivalent to him, who can stand together face-to-face with him and deal with life together with him. That's what it means to be a helper. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for the helper that you've given me. She is the best woman I've ever known in my life. Amen. And I'm the best man that she's ever had in her life. No, God said that. God told us that, you know, and I didn't believe him. I, you know, I really, I really thought he was just trying to be nice to me. But anyway, so Deb. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, there are so many marriages in here that I have known for many, many years. And we're honored that you're here tonight. And for those of you who haven't been married as long as we have or others in this room, Norman, Vicki, how long have you guys been married? 43. 43. Rick and Becky? 43. Rutzes? 49. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But you know what? Marriage is this thing you grow in your own whole life. It doesn't make any difference how many years you've been married. It's something we all grow into because it's about being conformed to the image of Christ And there's something about in marriage that really gets your attention about how unchristlike we can be or how Christlike we can be in marriage. So I just want to thank, although they're in Hawaii, I want to thank Pastors Kurt and Emily for having a night like this. It's really important. And I think as you've seen from Matt and Kim, and they did an amazing job, and thank you for being so transparent, my goodness. that marriage is something that there are seminars, there are Bible studies, there are books. If you walk into a bookstore, you can see the marriage area, and it's just full of all kinds of resources. It's an important aspect of our life. And, you know, we have just a little time here tonight, so we decided we really had to focus on we thought what God was speaking to us about. And so we thought about the word seasons, seasons, and that kind of resonated with us, and um, right now, we're in a season. You're all in a season, no matter who you are. There's some season that you are in right now, and right now, we are trying to figure out what season that is, because for the first time, I'm not working. So, we're trying to figure this out. I don't know how to do this yet. I'm having fun trying to figure it out, but as a married couple, this is a new season. Even though we've been married almost 40 years, um, it's a new season for us. So the scripture is full of references to seasons and times. You know, Genesis 1, uh, 14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and years. Of course, we all know Ecclesiastes. To everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And in Daniel, it says, And he, God, changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. You know, in the New Testament, times and seasons refers to the Greek word chronos, which is ordinary, day-by-day time. And then seasons is the word kairos, which is appointed times. And 
the appointed times are the ones we're always supposed to pray in. The, the word says, you know, pray always or pray at all times. Well, it's at Kairos times. And so we're praying right now. We're asking God, what is this season we're in? Yeah. And what are we supposed to be doing with this? Because where do we go? What are our next steps right. um, at this time? As Deb said, we're approaching our 40th anniversary. And Pastor John Stalker did our premarital counseling, and he was the one who trained me to do the premarital counseling that I did. And that's why they're still together, because Pastor John, you know, did a good <laughs> job with me and Deb. And uh, amen. And, you know, I think that I just saw something on Facebook the other day. They just hit 57 years. Was that right? Yeah. And, uh, and they're, you know, they're living the life and, and reaping the harvest of their, of their prayers and, and living in accordance with their faith. And it's just an amazing thing to watch that and see that happening. So if you ever attended Res, you would hear Pastor John say, whatever Linda wants, Linda gets. Right? And then you would see all the men frown. And you'd see the women smiling. And, but what they didn't see was you didn't see Linda on the front row and her lips were going, whatever John wants, John gets. Mm -hmm. Because in Ephesians 5, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives unto your own husbands. And mutual submission is me, if when I submit to Deb, I put her need for love above my need for respect. And when she submits to me, she puts my need for respect as a man above her need for love. And under Christ, we're able to do that because we have his grace and we have his spirit. We have his word to guide us in doing that. Do we do it successfully all the time? No. No. Sometimes we blow it. And it's usually me, but I'm going to teach you five little words, guys, that uh, are going to be very important to you later on. What we learned in our premarital counseling in Ephesians 5 was our basis for a Christian marriage. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. We can't even get into it. We don't have time. But one thing that we've learned over the last 40 years is that marriage is not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. And if any of you have ever run a marathon, you know that you've got to prepare. You have to put, put effort and purpose into what you're doing yeah. and prepare properly in order to do it. And so as we've gone through the seasons, we were just kind of coming up with names for our seasons. And we're not saying everybody has these seasons. You can come up with your own names. And so there was the dating and betrothal season. And then there was the honeymoon time. We, our honeymoon, we started in uh, Hawaii. And, um, and, yeah, and so we've been back there once. We went back there on our 25th. No, was it 25th? Yeah, yeah well, somewhere around there. And... Um, and then we have this family building time, child rearing. Uh, we had to get our kids together, and, and because I came into the marriage with two little preschoolers, and she came into the marriage with, with a pre-adolescent uh, girl, then we had one together. So we've got hers, mine, and ours. And they're all ours, though. They're all ours. Uh, there was a bad joke. Career building, empty nester time. We just ended that one, and now we're kind of moving into this phase where we don't know what we're doing. And looking back on our foundational years as we were preparing for this message, um, we were thinking about all this stuff and what was happening. And I think the most important thing that stuck out to us, that we were each in covenant with God. We were each believers. We were born again. And we knew that. That was so important to us because we didn't want to be unequally yoked, as it says in Corinthians, where you are a believer with an unbeliever. 
Now, if there's anybody in the room that you're married to an unbeliever or you're married to someone you think is not as fervent in their faith as you think they should be, just chill. Give it to God. Let God take care of it. That's what the Bible says. It's not your job to fire your mate up. It's your job to love them. And, and to treat them with honor and respect. Just the culture of honor thing, I really, really believe in that. Yeah. So we made several commitments to one another before we ever spoke vows to each other, and we want to talk about a little bit more about that right now. Well, um, Bill mentioned earlier that um, we were in covenant with, with God in Christ, and the covenant aspect of marriage is something that is really lost in today's culture. People talk about contracts, agreements, but the word covenant has kind of lost its full meaning and what the potential of that word really is. I, I found kind of a, um, a, a good definition of it. And so what is covenant? How does it apply to marriage? And once in a covenant, how do we address the challenges that two imperfect people bring into a relationship? And I found this, I mentioned, I found this definition, and I'm going to just kind of quote it to you. It says, a covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths or vows, signs, and ceremonies. Covenants define obligations and commitments, but they are different from a contract because they are relational and personal. Think of a marriage, a husband and wife choose to enter into a formal relationship, binding themselves to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. They then work as partners to reach a common goal, like building a life or raising kids together. So a covenant is not something to be taken lightly. And although I think it's great when um, people write their own vows uh, and they, they have to adhere to those vows, you know, we have the, the old vows, the old-fashioned traditional marriages, uh, you know, to have and to hold and, you know, to cherish uh, in sickness and in health. And all those things are part and parcel of life. And when you're in a covenant relationship, it's different than a contract. You don't simply walk away. Um, contracts are temporary, and they typically have a time limit. Covenants are intended to be permanent until death us do part. Second, contracts downplay forgiveness. Covenant emphasizes forgiveness. In a contract, you actually have punitive action if someone doesn't fulfill a contract. Not so in a covenant marriage. So if you're entering into a covenant relationship and your spouse has been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and you're under his submission to him as well, then when your spouse fails, your forgiveness is nothing less than the forgiveness that God has shown to you. And that's really hard sometimes. We want to be right. We want to be justified. We want to get payback, whatever it might be. But the fact of the matter is in covenant, you don't have that luxury. And that's hard because people go through very, very difficult things. Marriage as a contract does not emphasize the personal virtue of those involved. In contrast, a covenant view of marriage stresses the personal virtue. Part of the giving of the core of yourself in a covenant involves moral virtue and fidelity to what you have vowed to do. 
Mr. Bill? Oh, yeah. Um, while contracts can be employed with relational detachment and still continue, marriage covenants can't. Don't miss the intimacy that is implied in Genesis 2.25. They were naked and not ashamed. This reflects the deepest openness of an intimacy a man and woman can have. The openness and transparency of sexual intimacy is a symbol of the unity, which is the goal of a covenant and in which personal autonomy is surrendered to a point. A fifth aspect of marriage as a contract is that the contracts tend to put me first because I'm going into this contract to negotiate the best deal. (laughs) I used to be a negotiator for a company I worked for, and I know what that's like. We would go into the negotiating room, and we knew exactly what we wanted to achieve uh, in the contract that we wanted to establish. But when you view marriage as a covenant, it places the needs of the relationship above the needs of the individual. And that becomes really challenging, especially if, if there is sickness in one spouse or the other that, that takes you into a time of difficulty in your lives. But the relationship is the, is the thing that's most important to you during that time. And the, a sixth aspect of covenant entails holiness, uh, while a contract does not. So because marriage is a covenant, marriage is called holy. Um, in fact, we refer to it as holy matrimony. And to say that your mate is holy uh, doesn't mean that he or she is perfect. I knew I would hear some amens on that. And I knew they would probably come from feminine voices. (laughs) No problem, no condemnation. Amen. But, you know, I I loved what what Kim shared earlier about learning to take ownership for your own stuff. And when you, you cannot solve your problems unless you take ownership for your own stuff. And that's part of the keeping your love on uh, culture of honor thing that you would learn if you go into that. No other person in the world, when you're in covenant, there's no one else in this world who deserves my commitment, my respect, my honor, my attention, my love, my service than this one right here. Because I am submitted to her first. And then my kids, they're down the line. We'll talk about that in a minute. Finally, there's... um, Viewing a a contract, um, the contracts are individualistic while covenants are are assume a witnessing community. When we establish a covenant of marriage, we usually do it in a group. We do it with people, our friends and our family. Now, not always. Um, In my first marriage, we went to a justice of the peace because that's what we were told to do by the priest who found out that, oops, she was pregnant before we were married. And, um, And so that's what we did. But we had witnesses with us. And God witnesses and over, overlooks, he oversees every marriage. Every marriage. Even if you're not even saved. It's his idea. He wants you to have a good one. And, and so he's there. He's part of your covenant. He's part of that, that whole um, uh, thing that you're trying to build there. And um, we just want to, uh, you know, I, I got off my notes there for a little bit. But anyway, let's get back on here. And so marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is intended to be a commitment to which we maintain trust and fidelity until we're separated by death. And in a covenant, we put the needs of the relationship ahead of our own needs and humbly serve one another just as Christ serves the church. You know, um, the covenant is so important. And how do we keep our marriages strong in times of change? 
Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is um, marriage in God's plan, I believe, is a form of spiritual warfare. And uh, it speaks of unity, a reflection of oneness, and a foreshadowing of what is to come in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there is an enemy who wants to bring disunity, isolation, and discord. Jesus said he came to give us life and life abundantly. So when we have that in our marriage, it's so important to reflect that kind of thinking in our marriage. Under the big C of the word covenant, we have two other words that are kind of paradoxical, constant and change. So in the seasons of life, this can vary from person to person. So what are the constants in the covenant? Well, basically, we learned after we were together for a little while that change is a constant. <laughs> yeah. If you don't learn how to adapt to changes, my sons came back from, uh, we had two sons who went in the Marine Corps, and they would come back and they would teach us a Marine uh, term. And if, we, if I was complaining about something, my son would say, well, Dad, you just need to adapt and overcome. overcome. So we use that with each other, you know. Yeah. You, Deb, you just need to adapt and yeah. overcome, you know. So Ooh, right now, wow. we're, we're adapting and overcoming right now. <laughs> we had, we, we came up with three constants we feel that we've had in our lives that we've tried to steward and hang on to and, and keep as a priority. We call them priorities, unity and accountability. And we're going to cover these in more detail in a minute. But being constant doesn't mean never changing or getting in a rut um, or never having anything interesting happening. It's not being closed to new ways of doing things. You know, in your marriage vows, you stated conditions and circumstances for which you'd remain together. To love and to cherish, that's to honor one another. To have and to hold, mine is yours and yours is mine. In sickness and in health, for better, for worse, till death us do part. These become the constants in your relationship, which are not negotiable. We all love the status quo. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd hear some men say amen. <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily. You like the status quo. Where are quo. you guys? <laughs> Come on. Back me up here. We, we really don't like a lot of change to our routines. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to understand how Deb and I fit together. When she used to go off to work, I would go spend my time with Jesus. And I would spend an hour or two hours or whatever I felt like doing or what I needed to do and then work on some ministry stuff and maybe shower and get dressed and go to work or not. And um, it all depended on, on whether Hannah had booked Sozo's for me that day. And... Um, but now we're in this change where I get up in the morning and she didn't leave. She's, what am I supposed to do? I can't go be with Jesus. I just, you know, it's, it's rude to leave the room when there's someone there. And Anyway, so, you know, change um, for us, for us, um, Change does not refer to deviation from your priorities or your commitments to one another. Change is referring to the new things that come to life. Yeah. And sometimes those things are coming from God. Yeah. And at those times, those are kairos times that you really need to pay attention, be seeking the Lord and understanding how to adapt to that. An example I thought of was when we were living in New Hampshire, 
Um, this was way back in the 1990s, and we'd been there for two years. But when we left Colorado, went to New Hampshire to take that job, our commitment was to be there until Jesus came back yeah. or until we retired or whatever happened. And so two years later, I came home. Uh, I'd been working there for my employer there. And I said to my wife, I said, uh, something happened today. And I simply cannot do this job anymore because I would have to compromise my moral values to do what they told me to do. And I said, what am I going to do? And she said, well, we're going to pray. And she said, interestingly enough, Pastor John called today and asked if you would pray about being his counseling pastor. (laughs) What? I don't want to be a counseling pastor. No, I, I really did feel that way. I didn't want to be a counseling pastor. But... We prayed, we sought the Lord, that was the direction he was taking us. So how did we do that? Okay, priorities. We put God number one, our spouse number two, our children number three. And I've told people over and over, if you will keep number one, number one, number two, number two, and number three, number three, God will help you work out all the rest. Your career, your ministry, church time, whatever it is, that's all below number one, number two, and number three. Do not let your job move into three or number two. Because any time you do that, it keeps pushing its way up to take that number one role. And if you get in that place where your job is number one in your life, you're in real trouble. And there should have been some amens there. So we were committed to this. And we also committed to each other before we ever spoke vows. Uh, Deb asked me one night, she said, did you fight in your first marriage? And I said... Are you kidding me? German and Irish? We were like oil and water. And I said, did you guys fight? And she said, oh, yeah, we fought all the time. And she said, do you think fighting is inevitable? And I said, no, disagreements are inevitable. Mm -hmm. We won't always have the same opinion. We won't always have the same feelings about things. We won't always want the same thing. But we don't have to fight about it. And we defined fighting as calling each other name, making judgment statements, you never, you always, you're just like your mother. Well, you're just like your mother. And, uh, <laughs> that's fighting. And I can stand here today and I can say in 40 years, we've never had a fight, but we have had high volume conversations. Yes. <laughs> All right. But we didn't fight. And then another commitment we made to, number, to each other that we felt God was putting on our hearts as we sought him about our, our future was that we were going to have a family that uh, even though Deb was bringing a child from her first marriage, I was bringing two children from my first marriage, we wanted us to be a family. And we wanted our children to relate to us as mother and father in that house, recognizing that our daughter has a dad that she needs to honor, and we encourage that relationship. Uh, my two little kids had lost their mom. She died, so Debbie adopted them. And uh, we wanted our children to relate to each other as brother and sister. So during the past 40 years, believe me, we have been tested. We have an enemy, and he doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to, be, to live happily ever after. But I think we've had more happiness than sadness. Amen. We've been more blessed than not. Amen. So we made some mistakes, of course we did. And we found out also throughout this whole trip that God is faithful and he always gets us back on track. Yeah. Now we've only got a couple of minutes, so I'm going to try and rush through this if I can. The other two aspects, unity and accountability, were really important. And because 
Unity is, and the Godhead, there's unity there. There's distinct people in the, I mean, who can figure that out? I mean, it's always been a mystery. But it was important for us to be in unity. And so when we had major decisions, we would pray through until we came to a sense of agreement. Sometimes one of us would cave in just because, I don't want to talk about this anymore, whatever. But that isn't the right way to handle it. Because God always has the answer. And if you press into the Lord and say, Lord, we need to come to agreement on this. Because if something goes wrong, it's not going to be, well, it was your decision or it was your decision. No, it was our decision. And we carry that responsibility together in the marriage. It's real easy to point fingers when you say, well, I I didn't have anything to do with that decision making. I'm not talking about the little things in life, but the important decisions. You need to hang in there with the Lord, come to an agreement, and be in unity. Accountability. We are accountable to God in our, in our relationship to one another. It's kind of like that wonderful triangle where you have God at the top and you've got the spouses on either side. You know, a triangle is one of the strongest forms in nature. If you think about it, you have the top of your triangle with God at the top, and you've got your two spouses on either side. When pressure comes to any one of those places, the forces are shifted away from that to a different point. If I'm under tremendous stress, I know that my God and my husband is going to be there for me. Okay, So I have that knowledge of knowing that God is above me, my husband's by my side, we're going to get through whatever it is. So we have accountability to each other and also to other people in our lives. You need to be accountable to other people. I mean, no man is an island. But the idea is that if we're in trouble in our marriage and there are people who are holding us accountable, then they can walk with us through that. That's what the body of Christ is all about. We're supposed to be here for one another. And so accountability is really important. So we've also learned some pitfalls to avoid. There are some pitfalls. We've got five more minutes, Deb, because um, um, yeah. Leslie told me to go by my watch. Okay. Let me, let me fix that right now. <laughs> pitfalls. The first one, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but many, many years ago when we were first married, I was really religious. And this thing about putting God first and church and the word and all this stuff, it had come out of my experience in pretty much in the 80s and and. and so religiosity is a killer. And if you're religious, if you are religious, get a sozo. <laughs> I'm serious. God is not religious. No. Boy, he loves you so much. And in fact, your religiosity might be really hindering your relationship with him. It definitely hinders your relationship with other people. Amen. And if I was religious with any of you, I'm not going to, you know, but any of you back in the early 90s when I was a young counseling pastor and I wounded you religiously, <laughs> get over it. <laughs> Forgive me because God's already forgiven me. And don't come tell me you forgave me. Please don't do that. It's between you and God. The, the second thing is a pitfall is bitterness and unforgiveness. These things, these two little guys work together to absolutely destroy your heart. You cannot love someone unconditionally if you're bitter or unforgiving toward them. Yeah. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 5, it says that love keeps no record of wrongs. 
So if you've got a record of wrongs, you need to go to the cross and dump it because Jesus bore all yeah. those wrongs, yeah. all the ones you committed and all the ones that your spouse and other people have committed. You have no right to hold someone accountable for the wrong they did because only God can do that. I want to give you five little words that you really need to remember. You can write these down, put them in your phone or whatever you need to do. And this is how this works. You say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Okay, it works. So, anyway, moving right along. A failure to ask for help. We've seen that over and over, not so much in our lives, but in the lives of people that we've, we've had accountability with. And we found out that it was either fear or pride that kept them from asking for help. And so deal with those two guys. Get a sozo. And um, uncovering your spouse is another thing you don't, you don't want to do. Uncovering your spouse is when you tell stories about them, about their weaknesses, their shortcomings. You, you turn them into the butt of a joke, um, their idiosyncrasies or whatever it is. This is often motivated by a desire to gain an advantage over them. That's not love. That's not yeah. honor. Yeah. And, um, and consequently, you need to check that out with your spouse before you tell stories about them. Uh, Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers a multitude of sin. So before you share a story at a party about your spouse, check with them first. A family picnic. Oh, you should have seen him the other day. You would not believe what he did. And meanwhile, this person's going, what are they going to say about me? So when you cover your spouse, you're showing them such honor. And it's not a one-upmanship game in marriage. If you're doing that, stop it. If I want to say something, I'll say, can I share that story about when we were at the car wash and you were looking into the brush and the foam came out and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. That was funny. It really happened. It really happened. Why isn't this brush working? What's wrong with this thing? And all of a sudden, and he was covered from soap from the... T- it was... The car never got washed. We laughed the entire time. But it was one of she those... She was laughing hysterically. I was. I couldn't... I couldn't so talk. was I. I know. <laughs> and we were, he was wiping the soap out of his eyes. Which brings anyway. us to the last point. <laughs> we're out of time. Sorry. Okay. Um, you know what? It's, have a sense of humor in your marriage. Things are going to be funny. Some things that are not so funny, say, Lord, help me. Help me, see the, help me see the right side of this, Lord. You know, unfaithfulness, untruthfulness, unreliability, unrealistic expectations. In fact, Matt and Kim talked about that a little bit earlier. Those are all pitfalls you can avoid. So, you know, it's, I think we're about time to get done. I, I think we need to park this train in the station right yeah, now and, yeah. and uh, let everyone get their bags and move on to where the, what's going to happen next. I did want to say to you, if you want a copy of our notes, we'll share them, and they won't be redacted. They'll be just exactly <laughs> as, we've, as we've put it out here. All you have to do is send me an email to sozocolorado, sozocolorado at gmail.com, and put the word notes in the subject line. Don't send me an email with no subject because I've got things set up that those emails get thrown away. So subject line, notes. You don't have to put anything else in the, uh, you don't have to say, please send me the notes. or anything. Just send me the email that says notes, and I will send you a copy of our notes. 
So we had a bunch of scriptures we wanted to share. We don't have time to do that. But these scriptures are scriptures about identity. And if you don't have things in your heart uh, from the word of God about your identity, then you need to talk to God and find out what he says about you. Mm -hmm. Get into his word and find out what he says about you. One definition of humility is agreeing with God in what he says about you. And so if you feel like you're a victim, you're not agreeing with God because we're not victims. We're overcomers. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And if you're agreeing with a victim spirit, you're agreeing with the enemy. Okay, we need to end now. Okay, let me Um, just quickly, let me wrap this up here. You know, we said this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. You're in it for the long haul. We have an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But our marriages stand as a statement of warfare. In every season, when you forgive, you're declaring war. When you choose to keep your priorities in order, you're setting battle lines. When you determine to be in agreement, you are arming yourselves. Deuteronomy 32.30 says, One can put a thousand to flight, Two in agreement can put 10,000 to flight. Know your identity. Know who you are. Leave the enemy's baggage and walk with the Lord. You know, we are actually going up to the mountains tonight, and we had planned to bring our luggage up here and talk about it. Unpack it for you. Yeah. (laughs) And just say, you know what? You've got baggage. But Jesus is able. He wants you in the long haul, in the long run. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much.